Colossians 2.16, Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Go to Colossians 2 in your Bible and then be ready to turn your Bible pages quickly. We have many scriptures to look at today. I didn't have Colossians 2 pulled up. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Now, this is in a chapter in the book of Colossians where Paul is dealing with beguilement specifically. He's dealing with being deceived, being spoiled. He he has um, two verses in this passage where he speaks of um, beware, or he speaks of beguilement twice. He speaks of beware of being spoiled once. Uh, verse 4, he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And Jesus Christ is the key to avoiding all beguilement. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that he was that his desire for them is that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So here Paul is he's, he's setting all of his arguments, predicating them on the knowledge and the wisdom that is in Christ. All of it is hid in Christ. If you have Christ, you have it all. If you don't have Christ, you have none of it. Christ is the key. Now having a Porsche doesn't mean that you can drive it. That's a really fancy car for you kids that don't know what that is. But if you have a fancy car, having one doesn't mean that you are driving it. And if you're driving it, that doesn't mean that you're skillful in it. How many of you have seen people that drive unskillfully? Just having something doesn't mean that you're skillful in it. It doesn't mean that you're making full use of it. I've seen some cars driving down the road that could go, uh, a couple times I've seen cars that could go near 200 miles an hour. But they're driving on Highway 60 or I-44 or I-40 or something like that. And guess what? They cannot be used to their potential on those highways, can they? They cannot legally be used to their potential on those highways. And if somebody tries to, they'll probably end up in a wreck and a pile of scrap metal. So just having something doesn't mean that you're using it or that you're skillful in your use of it. But Paul says that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you're going to have anything, you've got to start with Christ. Being in Christ, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So if you're saved, if you're in Christ, you're in the vehicle, you are in the means that God has given you to have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But just getting in doesn't make you skillful in Christ. It doesn't make you skillful in doctrine. It doesn't give you full understanding just immediately. You have to study. You have to read. You have to seek it. The Bible says that a man... Um, through desire, a man seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Through desire... A man seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. You've got to want to know what, what God's best is for your life in order to find it. You've got to desire the things of God in order to find them. You have to seek knowledge. You have to seek after wisdom. Read the book of Proverbs and read all the exhortations about that. Now, if you don't really want to know, if you just want Jesus Christ to be some kind of escape 
pot or something like that from this world so that you have this fire insurance and when the world gets burned up, you're going to get jerked out right at the last second and not get burned up and sent to hell. And that's your entire understanding of God and the gospel and that's all you want out of Christ, then you're not going to care about anything that we have to say today. You won't care about what the Bible has to say about drink. The Bible here says, let no man judge you in meat or in drink. You won't care about what the Bible says about meat. You won't care about the holy days. You won't care about the new moon or the Sabbath days or what they mean for us and what it means when the Bible talks about them. It won't have any meaning to you. But if you desire to be skillful in the word, if you desire to have the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then you need to rightly divide the word of truth and be obedient to the word of truth, obedient to the word of God. Now, this exhortation here, This exhortation from Paul, let no man judge you in meat or in drink, comes after he says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Listen to this. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you being dead in your sins. You make a mark by that to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians says, being dead in trespasses. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened. He says here in 13, And you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, that's laws, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So after all of this speech, where he's talked about, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding there with thanksgiving, to verses 6 and 7. Now he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And here comes this next great warning. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up with his fleshly mind. If God be in our help and allows and that he allows it, we will continue to study out these beguilements and we'll study out this chapter. We're going to zero in on let no man therefore judge you specifically in drink today. And we're going to look at that a little better. We've got here a bottle of drink on the table. This is from the grape, the blood of the grape, the Bible calls it. Ingredients here, it says grape juice from concentrate, filtered water, grape juice concentrate, grape juice ascorbic acid, which is parentheses vitamin C, citric acid, parentheses for tartness. It says over here 100% juice. This is um, the particular one that I have here is by the Welch's family farm here. And um, it's called, it says it's Concord Grape, USA grown grapes, no sugar added, non-GMO. This is unmixed wine. Now, some of you are already ready to turn me off that I call that wine, but that's wine. 
Now, you go to the super center, you go down the aisle in the in one of the big stores, one of the grocery stores, and usually there's going to be two places in the store you can buy wine. You can go down the juice aisle, and there's apple juice, and there's um, all kinds of other juices that don't have to be refrigerated. You go over to the cold section, there's orange juice, but you get to a certain section in the juice aisle, and you will find grape juice. And whenever you get down, you go on down around that aisle and usually somewhere else. A lot of times in these days, right by the cash registers up front, next to all the other garbage in the whole store is the liquor aisle. And that aisle is full of what they call wine. And most Americans, whenever you say wine, they think of a long neck bottle that's about a foot and a half high and it's full of fermented mixed wine that the Bible calls strong drink as well as wine. In the Bible, they did not differentiate between wine and grape juice. They differentiated between wine and strong drink. When God talks about strong drink in the Bible, God differentiates. He shows you by the context whether or not it was strong drink. Now, some of the wine in the Bible that people drank was strong drink, and some of it was not strong drink. And those two things have to be divided. They have to be looked at. What does the Bible have to say about wine? How do you know when it is strong drink? How do you know when it's not? You don't need the Hebrew and the Greek to get there. You just read the Bible, read the context, read what it says. We're going to look today at some scriptures in the Bible regarding wine. The, there are many scriptures. And in preparation for this, we've gone through the scriptures, took a concordance, went through the scriptures everywhere the Bible said wine and looked at it and looked at what the Bible said. And today we're just going to look at what the Bible says about wine and we're going to learn some things hopefully about what God has to say. Now I want to take a special note, make a special note here that the law of God never disallowed the use of even strong drink of alcoholic wine. The Bible never disallowed it in the law for the general population. We'll look at the couple times it was disallowed. And the Bible says in Colossians 2.16, let no man judge you in meat or in drink. How did we get off on all of this? Now, a lot of people will use this to say, I can drink whatever I want. Leave me alone. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. The law never said you couldn't drink alcoholic beverages as a general population. So to try and claim grace for drinking alcohol is an absolutely idiotic position to take. It is senseless to take it. The law never even banned the drinking of strong drink anyway. So there's no foundation for that argument. The fact that people are using that to argue shows a complete biblical ignorance. Now, the law did not disallow the use of alcoholic beverages. I also want to make a note, though, that the law did not disallow slavery. The law did not disallow divorce. It did not disallow polygamy. The law regulated wicked men on a social, moral, and physical level. We've got to talk about the law just for a minute before we get into this further. The Bible teaches that the law was given because of offenses. The law of God cannot make man righteous. Galatians says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The law was given by God, and get this, and this will help you. The law of Moses was given as an emergency stopgap to curtail, to slow down, to prevent man's depravity from utterly destroying all of the human race and plunging the world into global judgment at the hand of a mighty and wrathful God like he did whenever he sent the waters of Noah's flood to destroy the earth. We call it Noah's flood. We should call it Jesus Christ's flood. Because Jesus Christ is the one that sent the flood of waters to destroy every man, woman, and child that lived on the face of the earth. Because the earth was filled with violence. Now, wait a second. Didn't didn't Noah's flood come before Exodus 20? Didn't that come in Genesis 8 and 9? Way before the law was given. And the law says, thou shalt not kill. And yet God judged the world, the pre-flood world. He judged it by the moral law of God that was stated in Exodus 20. Now, what can we get from that? That God has never changed. God's law has never changed. The Bible says the law is good and holy and the commandment good and holy, just. I'm butchering that verse up, but just and holy and good. The law of God is perfect, the Bible says, converting the soul. The purpose of the law was never to make man righteous. The purpose of the law was never to bring in or usher in a utopian perfect society. The law of God was given as a preventative measure to stem the flood of wickedness and put restraints on wicked men and show them their need for a savior before they plunged off the off the cliff of sin into the of hell and give them time by preventing the extremities of wickedness from overrunning the world and defiling everyone that was alive and give man a space to repent. Before Christ came, the law gave men time to live without God burning them up like he did in Genesis 19, like Sodom and Gomorrah, so that there was time for the deliverer to come, Jesus Christ. The Messiah who would die for our sins according to the scriptures and be buried and be raised again on the third day. And after Christ came, the law is still useful today. The Bible says in the New Testament that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And it shows us our complete inability to please God in our own efforts. Even if you can keep the whole law, the Bible says righteousness is not of the law. Now, that being said, all of that in Colossians, that entire verse 2.16 is dealing with the law. Now, there's several different parts of the law. There's the social law. God governed the interactions of Israelis with Israelis. They could not marry Canaanites. They couldn't marry these other people of the land that they were around. They could not make agreements with the Canaanites, but they could with other nations. So there are social governmental laws that apply directly to the children of Israel alone and that did not apply to the Canaanites. And you have to be absolutely loony to deny that. It's absolutely clear in the scripture. You just let the Bible define the Bible. There's the moral law of God that has always and will always be true and in effect. 
There's the physical, dietary, customary, sacrificial laws that God gave the Jews. And then there's a whole other set of laws that the Jews gave the Jews that are the traditions that Paul talks about here in Colossians chapter 2. He says... Uh, he says there about the traditions in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So as far as God's law goes, you have a social law God gave the Jews, which the Sabbath right there is given to the Jew. Read it. Just look it up in the Bible. Almost every single time God brings up the Sabbath, he'll tag in there with it, which is given to the children of Israel for a sign unto them that they're my people or something to that effect so the sabbath was given directly to the jew now there is a spiritual application to us so the sabbath we're not getting into that right now the moral law of god has always been in effect always will be in effect and then there was physical laws like the day of atonement that had not been in effect but now was now i will say that sacrifices had been in effect since adam sinned God clothed them with coats of skins, and those skins came from some kind of animal. And Adam, and from then on, people sacrificed. And we can see by context and clear context of Scripture that God had given people sacrifices. But God gave a sacrificial law. God gave the priests and the Levites a code of laws. He gave them many sacrifices, burnt offerings, offerings, sin offering, trespass offering, peace, the, the free will offering. He gave many offerings, all of them are significant, but he gave those specifically to the children of Israel and those laws were all fulfilled. All of the law, the social, the moral, the physical, the the sacrificial, the dietary, all of it was fulfilled in Christ. Some of it, it does not apply to us and some of it does. Most rightly divide the word of truth. But in all of the law of God... There are only a few verses that prohibit that say, do not drink wine. Only a few. And there are other verses that say that you can drink wine. And Paul says here, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in the respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And what he's saying there is not that he's giving you license to eat or drink whatever you want. Just go to Romans 14. He says, I'm not going to eat or drink anything that causes my brother to stumble or to sin. He's not saying do whatever you want with disregard to anything else, but he's saying you're not under the law. Don't be beguiled. Don't have your faith taken from you and have yourself brought under this code of rules that men have made up or that don't apply to you, that are going to ruin your effectiveness for Christ. Now, we're going to look at this wine real quickly. Now, because here in verse 4, he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And right now in America, I don't know about other parts of the world, this is where I'm at, but right now in the United States of America, the common trend is for Christians to crack a can of beer open, tip it up, slug it down, and say, I've done no sin, and wipe their lips clean, and act like they've done absolutely nothing wrong. Is that an accurate position to take? Is that a biblical position to take? Is it sin to drink alcoholic beverages? Is it okay to drink alcoholic beverages according to the scriptures? Let's look at the Bible and let the Bible be the rule. Wine begins in Genesis 9.21. Turn there quickly. Genesis 9.21. 
here's Noah post-flood. We're not going to get into all the details or discussion about the climate change that took place and the potential of whether or not Noah knew or didn't know that the wine was alcoholic. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What does matter is Genesis 9.20 wine says that he drank of the wine. And here's your first mention of wine in the Bible. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, Noah here, the first mention of wine in the Bible, Noah drank wine and was drunken and was naked and sin was spread throughout his family. Canaan got a curse on him that would carry through till you see that God told the children of Israel to wipe out every man, woman, and child in the land of Canaan because of their wicked lewdness, their sin, their filthiness. In the sight of God, they had become so animalistic, so debased, so much lower, demonically lower than animals in their sin that God said they must all die. And all of that sin can, tra- can be traced, obviously, to the sin in the Garden of Eden. But what was the catalyst for that sin? That catalyst was wine. Now, in the Bible, there's, again, many types of wine, and there's more than one type of wine. There's wine that's strong drink. There's mixed wine. There's allegorical wine all through the Bible. And allegories, are that's, that just means using wine as an illustration, saying something to give you an illustration. And in fact, it's used allegorically, or it's used in that kind of a sense, talking about the judgments of God, God, the wine faileth, or there will be no wine, or wine that maketh glad the heart of man. There's all these comments about wine all through the Bible that are used by God to teach and to illustrate. And whenever he does it that way, he makes it clear that he's doing that way. But when God actually talks about whether or not to drink or not to drink, or people that did drink, we're going to focus in on those really closely here. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew that he was naked. (coughs) The next mention of wine in the Bible is Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, when he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And it says (coughs) that Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. Following that, you have, and of course, Jesus Christ, the bread is his body, the wine is his blood that was shed for us. Following that, you get to Lot in Genesis 19.32. Lot, his his daughters gave him wine, and I'm going to, we've already covered this yesterday, I'm not going to cover it again right this second. We need to pray. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Pour out your spirit upon us. Help me know what to do and what to say in Jesus' name. Help us as we go over these scriptures in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, so Lot, he got drunk. Go to Genesis 19. And the Bible says that his daughters gave him wine. 
Let's go ahead and read that. Lot had pitched his tent towards Sodom. He'd gotten worldly. He'd gotten full of the world. He'd gotten away from Abraham, the father of faith. But he believed in God. The Bible called him just Lot. And 1932 says that his daughter said, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Now notice that Lot didn't perceive. He lost his understanding. It's a known fact that use of alcoholic wine... Use of alcohol, alcoholic beverages, recreationally even, lowers your ability to perceive. It changes your mindset. It opens your mind to demonic influences. It shuts your mind to Christ's godly influences. And here Lot got enough of it in him that he couldn't even tell what was happening to him. And a horrible sin was committed that led to generation after generation after generation of hell-bound sinners persecuting God's people. From a man who is, the Bible calls just Lot in the book of Hebrews. Next mention after this is Jacob giving wine, getting wine, or Jacob giving wine to his father Isaac right before he deceives his father. It doesn't tell us whether that was alcoholic or not. Much, but what you do find is that Jacob's discernment was impaired. He could not discern Jacob. He did not discern the lie. Go to Genesis 27, quickly. Genesis 27, 25. Genesis 27, 25. Verse 23 says, He discerned him not because his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac, still not quite sure here, verse 26 says, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him. It wasn't until after he drank of the wine that he went full speed into it and finished blessing Jacob. Jacob's deception was successful and you cannot miss the correlation, the connection between the wine and the deception. The next few mentions of of wine in the Bible are Jacob's blessings to his children saying, let the earth bring forth plenty of corn and wine, etc., Exodus 29 starts talking about the drink offering, says um, to, about bringing the drink offerings and pouring out the wine before the Lord. I feel like we're just muddy, just slogging through mud. Love you. Help, Lord. Leviticus chapter 10 is the next mention of wine in the Bible. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his 
censer and put fire there and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. <coughs> Here in Leviticus 10, the direct contextual understanding of the scripture it is clear that the command to not drink wine relates to Nadab and Abihu's death here they were and getting ready for the first day of atonement spending a week getting sanctified in the temple and they didn't have a whole lot to do and they started hitting the wine and they hit it too hard as the saying goes and next thing you know their judgment was impaired their understanding was perverted and they offered before God strange fire before God and he sent fire from heaven and burned them up and they died before the Lord scorched corpses laying in a place that was supposed to be clean and holy. And God told the sons of Aaron, do not drink wine nor strong drink when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. This is the first outright prohibition by God against drinking wine in the Bible. Now, there'll be another one to the Nazarites whenever they have their vow. And then, of course, they're allowed to drink wine after they complete their vow. There's many more drink offerings that come in the law before we get on to the other books of the Bible where the wine will be poured out before God. In Deuteronomy, there's another mention of wine where... Um, it's actually not a mention of wine, it speaks of strong drink, where if a man lives too far from Jerusalem to bring his animals for sacrifice, he can sell the animals, come to Jerusalem, buy animals for sacrifice, and the Bible specifically says, and strong drink, and whatsoever else thy heart lusteth after. And notice how he puts it in there with your heart lusting after. Listen here. The Bible said that Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord offering strange fire. That's a serious thing. So God prohibited the priests and the Levites from drinking wine or strong drink when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation specifically. Now there's many more blessings about it. The Bible uses sometimes uses the wine like in like it does here in Deuteronomy 32:33 their wine is the poison of dragons. It uses it sometimes allegorically, very negatively. Sometimes it uses it allegorically, very positively, like in Song of Solomon. But over here, um, let's go down. 
to the first time um, the ne- that it's forbidden that the dr- that drinking was forbidden in the prophets. Let's go to First Samuel one fourteen. First Samuel one fourteen. Here was a woman named Hannah, and she was. Uh, weeping, but silently, she was praying and pouring her heart out to God because she had no children and she was barren. And Eli, the high priest at the time, said to her in verse 14, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Now, in this case, Hannah was not drunk. She said, No, Lord, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Look what she says here. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. The idea <coughs> behind a daughter of Belial means a daughter of filthiness. She says, No, I'm not drunk. I'm not filthy like you're saying that I'm filthy. God answered her prayer. Ironically, Eli's sons were gluttons. They were fornicators, obviously disobeying God in many other ways, and God killed them as well. Now, moving on from there, let's look at the next. (coughs) This could be hard to follow for you. I hope you're taking notes. If you need to take notes, you can go back and look at it. Or if you're not taking notes because you're young, just listen and learn. Lord, help me know what to do. Let's just, oh, we got to run through this even faster. All right. So here, Second um, Samuel, the use of wine was given by Barzillai the Gileadite that such as be faint in the wilderness could drink some and be revived. So wine was used to revive them that, as it says in the New and Proverbs, them that are ready to die. You have many other references to wine throughout the other books of the Bible going up, even through Song of Solomon and Isaiah. We're going to look at a few in Isaiah real quick. In Isaiah, we have some references. It says, talks about those that tarry until night drinking wine, till wine inflame them in 511. It, talk, it says, woe to them that are mighty to drink wine. Men of strength. I think of men who talk about how they can hold their liquor. It says here, woe to them that are mighty to drink wine. They think they can handle their wine. In Isaiah 22, 13, they have... They're drinking wine and saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And so the wine brings a spirit of apathy and they turn away from God. They won't listen to his prophets. Then we have in um, chapter 28, woes, woes to them. And he says they also have erred through wine. Go to Isaiah 28 quickly. Isaiah chapter 28, these have erred through wine. And there's a, there's a theme that I want you to see here throughout the Bible that wine and error go hand in hand. Wine and error, wine and deception, wine and transgression, wine and sin go hand in hand when used as a recreational alcoholic beverage. The use of recreational alcoholic beverages is completely different from taking a little wine for thy stomach's sake, which is a use of Wine might not even be alcoholic for medicinal purposes in the Bible. Let's look here. We've got to keep going through the Bible. We've got to stay on track. Um, Isaiah 28, verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the valleys of them, of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. 
and down here in verse 7, but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. Now, I want to tell you something today. If you get involved in strong drink, you're going to get out of the way. It's going to take you out of God's way. And that's a theme throughout all of the scripture. God in heaven, help us today. I feel like I'm doing such a poor job communicating your truth. Help us, Lord. There are many allegories in the negative sense um, throughout this whole book of Isaiah. And through Jeremiah, the Rechabites are given pots of wine to drink in the book of Jeremiah. But they wouldn't even touch wine at all. Now that wine, it does not say, was alcoholic wine. But they would not touch it. It's worth noting that the Nazarite was not even allowed to touch the vinegar of wine for the Nazarite vow. And we can... We can Tie all this together, Lord willing, when we get to the New Testament verses. We'll be able to see how this all this relates. Um, Ezekiel 44, 21 says, Neither shall any priest drink wine when he entereth into the inner court. If I quoted that right. Neither shall any priest drink wine when he entereth into the inner court. And so there, and that is a millennial temple talking about a future temple, but there God reiterates the command of Leviticus 10 and gives it to the whole priesthood that when they enter the inner court, any of the priests that are qualified to get in that far, they're not allowed to drink any wine. (coughs) Daniel, in the book of Daniel, was given a portion of the king's meat, and the Bible says emphatically, that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat and with the wine. He would not defile himself with the wine, though later Daniel mentions abstaining from wine when he fasted. Why would he be defiled with the king's wine, but then later drink other wine, unless some wine is defiling and some wine is not? You think Daniel, when he got old and wise, all of a sudden he was wise enough to drink liquor? Was that the change that took place in Daniel's life? Read it. Study it out for yourself. The references are Daniel 1.5, Daniel 1.8, Daniel 1.16. And then after Belshazzar's feast, which is another man that you can find in the Bible, Belshazzar, Nabal, men that were destroyed drinking wine. And you get up here to Daniel 10, 3, he, he talks about his fast where it came no fle- came, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Hosea goes on and talks about wine, God taking away the wine. He talks about them going to other gods and loving flagons of wine. Now here's a verse we need to look at. Go to Hosea 4 quickly. We've got to keep moving. There's a lot of scriptures here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You guys can look that verse up and correct me on it because I didn't quote it right. So we're looking for Hosea 4 and 11. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. We can close the book on the whole subject with that verse. Whoredom, wine, and new wine take away the heart. What's going to happen to you if you're sucking wine all the time? It's going to take away your heart. Now again, there's different kinds of wine in the Bible. We've got wine sitting right here on the table. 
100% grape juice. That's wine. And pass a little bit of that out. These kids will like to have some of it. Go ahead, hey, let's pass some of that out. Let's pass a little bit out. Everybody have a drink of grape juice. God's gift to man. It's a wonderful gift to man. A beautiful gift to man. A tasty gift to man. A helpful gift to man. A healthy gift to man. And there's no fruit quite like it. A wonderful gift from God. Hosea 4 here says, Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Go to 7.5. Hosea 7.5. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. The king was getting hit with wine. The princes were handing him wine so they could get him to do what he wants. By the way, if you've been studying the book of Jeremiah lately in the life of Zedekiah, that verse is a key verse to understand why Zedekiah was powerless against the princes. That's the key. That preaches all by itself. If you study that one down and run it. All right, so let's go to um, Hosea 7.14. And let's look at this, this link between wine and rebellion. And they have not cried unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. They assemble themselves for corn and wine and they rebel against me. They'll go to their feasts and rebel against me in my face. That's Hosea 7.14. Many more references to wine throughout Hosea. Joel talks about all ye drinkers of wine, the, uh, the new wine being cut off from your mouth. Uh, very many negative inferences to it. Let's get on to the book of Joel. Chapter 3, verse 3, quickly. <clears throat> Got to move quickly. Joel 3, verse 3. Here God links the sex trade, sex trafficking, to wine. And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for an harlot, and sold a girl for wine, that they might drink. So here's a connection between the illegal trafficking of humans for sexual perversion and the drinking of wine. The context is clear if you have any spiritual discernment that that would be alcoholic wine. Now, we know also that that's talking about whenever girls were so cheap because of the destruction of Jerusalem and they had too many of them to sell. And that's also talking about that, but the link is clear. The link is clear. Now, (coughs) Amos goes on here and talks about how the Israelites would give the Nazarites wine to drink and defile them with it. It gives woes to them that drink wine and bowls. He talks about how they're going to lose the wine. It's going to be cut off from them. Micah says, speaks of them, the prophets, and strong uh, and strong drink. Go to 2.11. Micah 2.11. Quickly. Go quickly. Micah 2.11. Now, this is where we're at in our country. 
This verse absolutely leapt out to me when I read it. It says, If a man walking in the spirit and falsehoods do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. And boy, is that what we've got going on in America today. As pastors stand up and lie and prophesy to the people of wine and of strong drink, saying, come on, guys, you've got liberty in Christ. Bottoms up. Drink it up. They prophesy, and he says, even these shall be a prophet. He shall even be the prophet of this people. And that's what we've got for pastors. That's about all we've got for pastors in this day. Habakkuk says, speaks of him that transgresseth by wine and says, he is a proud man. And there is such a link between the pride of man and the use of alcoholic beverages. It puffs you up. It fills you with pride. We're going to jump from there right down to the New Testament. We get in the New Testament, there's some deep stuff here. A lot of deep stuff here. In Matthew, this is incredible. Just hold on, we're going to keep running through these verses, then we'll um, have some closing statements and be done. Matthew here, the first three mentions of wine are all by Christ, and he's referencing an incredible passage of Scripture. Neither do men put wine into old bottles. And that needs studied out all by itself. The whole gist of that passage, he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the New Testament believer to sanctify him and fit him for use. And those first three references in the same verse, Matthew 9, 17, are in that passage. The next four references are in Matthew 2, 22. Again, and no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles. And he goes on with that same parable. So the first three are in Matthew, the next are in Mark 2, and there's four of them there. And then we'll jump a couple and come back to them. In Luke, we have the same parable with four more references to wine. And those are the vast majority of Christ's references to wine. Is that parable. Now, wine is a gift from God. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift from God that's designed to make glad the heart of man. God also made nitrogen. I dare anybody to drink nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen. God made it. He made it for a purpose. God made carbon monoxide too. God made a lot of things. Just because God made it doesn't mean that your abuse of it is right. And using something that God made for a specific purpose, for a purpose other than that which it was designed for, is a misuse of God's creation. Wine was given by God to make glad the heart of man. Wine in the New Testament was given by God as an analogy of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Ephesians forbids being drunk with wine. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And draws a direct correlation between wine and being filled with the Spirit. And listen to me, listen to me. There is as much a negative ability of a negative spirit to use negative alcoholic influence as there is of the Holy Spirit to typify the good effect of wine. I don't know if you followed that or not. 
The wine and the drunkenness is a negative thing in that sense. But God says be filled with the Spirit. And the inference by placing them in direct contrast is that you cannot have both. There's a choice that has to be made. Do you want to be full of wine or do you want to be full of the Spirit? Do you want to be drunk with wine or do you want to be led of the Spirit? There's a direct correlation in the, in the Gospels here. The next mention after the first seven there is Mark 7, 15, 23, and they gave him to drink wine mingled. Wine mingled. And that just have that much written down. is gall or myrrh, I can't remember which. But there, they gave him wine on the cross. He would not drink of it. In John, you have the famous parable of Christ turning water to wine. And this parable, again, how can we be on this whenever we're talking about Colossians and no man beguiling you? Because this subject is used by filthy theologians and ungodly scholars to undermine the faith of people and defile them and get them to transgress by wine and err from knowledge. These passages of Scripture are used to twist your mind and get you to drink. That's why we're here. And this passage in John, we can't study each of these passages out. Not today, it's not the job today, it's survey. We're just surveying through here. Here in John, Jesus Christ turned the water into wine. There's many mentions of wine in that passage, and the story is a beautiful picture. And again, there were six water pots set there. Let's just jump off, dive off the deep end, and just take a little trip on some numbers real quick. We go back to the mention by Christ of wine in the New Testament, and you have three first mentions of wine, which are God. The next four of about wine, and these are about being filled with the Spirit. The new bottles, the old bottles, three of them, God Four of them, the world. And guess what? God came down to the world to fill man with his spirit, to complete and perfect man and deliver them from the curse of the law and give them ability and power to take the gospel into all the world. I'm no expert on numbers in the Bibles, and you better be careful with them, not as the pastor said, go to seed on them. You can really twist yourself up. But there's, it can be very interesting, some of the things that come with those numbers. But here, when Jesus turns the water to wine, guess what? There's six water pots of stone. And six is known, is very clearly a, type, a number that represents man throughout the Bible. The Antichrist has a number of his name, 666. And here there's six water pots of stone and they get filled with water. And water is a type in the Bible of the word. And Jesus Christ comes and turns the water into wine. And he had 12 disciples standing there watching him do it. Or he would have 12 if he didn't have them yet. I'm sorry I didn't study that out. But 12 disciples is 2 times 6. And here's 6 water pots of stone standing there filled with water. And then Jesus Christ turned them to wine. And then he bore out the wine and carried it to the governor of the feast. And it was disseminated to everybody that was there. And it's a picture and a type of the work of Christ in giving the gospel not just in word only, but in power to the whole world. And that's the purpose of the wine and the water to wine. Jesus wasn't doing it to give you license to sin. 
It has nothing to do with engaging in social drinking and tipping up your Bud Light. If you want to make Jesus Christ the author of sin, you are blaspheming the name of Christ. Blaspheming. People use this passage all the time to accuse Christ without even giving him any question. Was this alcoholic wine or not? Some people say that's a cop-out. I say you're ignorant if you call that a cop-out. All you have to do is read the Bible to see that there are different types of wine and different effects from wine all throughout the Bible. The alcoholic drink. We'll get to Proverbs. I missed it earlier. We'll jump back to Proverbs here in a minute and look at what he says. I know that's what all you wine bibbers hate. You hate the book of Proverbs. Not talking to you guys, but unless you go that route. I know none of you are drinking. But all these people out here slamming their liquor, they hate Proverbs. Oh, that's Old Testament. Oh, that's Old Testament. All Scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine. For doctrine. Now, the Bible says here that in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, that the men accused the disciples of being full of new wine. Of course, Peter answered that And he told them, that's not so. Paul in Romans said, I will neither eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything that causeth my brother to stumble or to be offended. Talking about to cause my brother to sin. And a lot of people take this verse and they try and use it to argue against alcoholic wine. And I don't even think, honestly, I don't believe at all that that's even what Paul was talking about, alcoholic wine. I think he was coming at it. From more of a Nazarite perspective, you say, well, you think, I think we've all got opinions. Yeah, but what's my opinion based off of? And what's your opinion based off of? The opinion I'm offering you is based off of the word of God and the context to the word of God. (laughs) Saying, I won't even touch wine if it causes my brother to stumble. I won't even drink it. I'm not even going to touch the fruit of the grape. Wine in the Bible can include all the fruit of the grape. It can include non-alcoholic or it can include alcoholic. Maybe he was just talking about alcoholic. But in any case, he said, I'm not going to eat or drink it if it causes my brother to offend. Ephesians says, be not drunk with wine or in his excess, but be filled with the spirit. First Timothy and then Titus give qualifications for elders, pastors, Elders, which are pastors there, and deacons. Gives the qualification for bishops. And he says that they must not be given to wine. They must not be given to much wine, the deacons. And the preachers must not be given to wine or the pastors. He says there in Revelation, he speaks many times about the, several times about the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. He talks about the wine of her, the great horse, fornication. And he talks about the trading that Babylon did in wine. And that gets us through a survey of all the references to wine in the Bible. We need to step back real quick to the book of Proverbs. To the book of Proverbs. And we're going to tie this thing together real quick. If I can keep track of my pages here. Let's just jump right to 20 verse 1. There's a couple other references. Um, Wisdom. We need to start there. Wisdom 
in chapter 9 says that, um, let's go there, Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars, she hath killed her beast, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. So wisdom has her own wine. Wisdom has her own wine. Wisdom hath, will, hath mingled her wine. She has mingled wine. Now again, this is, this is where you have to rightly divide the word of truth. You need some discernment. And if you lack discernment, you're going to be one of the simple ones it talks about in Romans 7. You're going to be destroyed. Here in Proverbs 9, wisdom has wine. In verse 5, come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. And the wine that they have mingled, go down to verse 10. Go to verse 6. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the wine that wisdom has mingled, the wine that wisdom is giving, is unrelated to actually physically drinking even the fruit of the grape, much less alcoholic beverages. It has nothing to do with drinking alcohol. Excuse me. Lord help us. Wisdom has wine, and then there's another wine. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, to try and claim that wisdom is producing something that is a mocker and is raging is folly, and that's obvious to see. Now, if we can see that with wisdom, that wisdom was not producing wine that is raging and mocking, then why, in God's name, would anybody accuse Jesus Christ of taking part in wine that is a mocker and strong drink that is raging? Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You know, the deception of alcohol, alcoholic beverages, the deception of it is that you can hold it. The deception is that you can handle it. The deception is that you think that you can enjoy it and not be affected adversely by it. That is the deception of it. What is the definition of being drunk? Oh, well, it's 1.2% blood alcohol or 1.9. Oh, I think it's 2.5. Well, your opinion's pointless and it doesn't count. You start drinking alcoholic beverages and you have begun to be drunk. The alcohol has begun to affect you. Chemically, literally, the alcohol has already begun to affect you. From that point, from the first drink on, the question is, how drunk are you going to drink yourself? Once you start drinking alcoholic beverages, the question is, how drunk are you going to get on it? You're going to get slobbering drunk? You're going to get passed out drunk? You're going to get naked drunk? Or are you just going to get the little buzz kind of drunk? that lowers your inhibitions and shuts down your conscience and closes your heart to God. God help me in Jesus' name. I cannot preach this like I need to preach it. Thank you, Lord, for your word.
Proverbs 23, quickly. This subject is grievous. There's some things that shouldn't even have to be said. Proverbs 23 and verse 30. Starting in 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine... They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. You are not exempt from that. You go and look at that wine, you'll be looking at the ladies. That's what it says. Don't like it? Take it up with God. You say it's not a sin to drink alcohol? Jesus Christ said, Whosoever looketh on a woman with lust committeth adultery with her already in his heart. And if you go and stare into that cup of alcohol, he says you're going to be staring into the bosom of a whore. That's what he says. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. It says they have stricken me, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. Noah didn't know it. He didn't know he was naked. Lot didn't know what was happening. One of the most perverse and disgusting stories in the whole word of God happened to a saved man who drank wine. And you think you're holier than all of them if you go and suck down that alcoholic garbage. You think you're wiser. You think you're stronger. You think you're better. You think you've got more control. You're a mighty man to drink wine. The Bible calls you fool. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. I'm sorry, 31. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4. We're going to look at Revelation 1.6 real quickly in relationship to this. I know this is longer than I intended. I'm trying desperately to get enough actual scripture in this to make it profitable and not just opinions. So before we look at Proverbs 31, I want you to take a look here at Revelation 1.6. And here, starting in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Did any of you pick up on that? What did God say he made us? Kings and priests. Now you look up here. Do I look like a king today? I do not look like a king. I'm fully aware of that. Do I look like a priest today? Not even close. A lot of times I don't behave or act like either of those things. But God said that's what he made me. Now I want you to remember in Leviticus 10 and Ezekiel 44, God said for the priests not to drink wine. When they come into the tabernacle in Leviticus, when they go into the inner court in Ezekiel. 
Now, I'm going to blow your minds here. I know I am because this is not popular doctrine and not the way that we like to apply this. We like to apply our position in Christ to our lasciviousness. And we like to say, I'm a king and a priest with God so I can do whatever I want. I can sin like Eli's boys. I can lay with the women assembled at the door of the temple. And God's not going to do nothing to me because I'm saved and sanctified. Bless the Lord, I'm going to go live like I want to live. That's how we like to apply that verse. But let's take this verse and apply it scripturally for once. I beg of you, apply this verse scripturally. Look there in the Old Testament where it says, For the priests not to drink wine lest they pervert judgment. Look at the link between the strange fire and the use of alcohol by the priests. And they offered strange fire. And listen to me today. Our churches are full of strange fire. Our preachers have erred by wine. And they transgress. And they prophesy of wine. And they prophesy of strong drink. And they make my people to err. We've forsaken judgment. We've forsaken God's word. We've turned our back on his warnings. And we're bringing the curses on our heads. Just like he said it would happen because God is true no matter what anybody says. Let God be true and every man a liar. God help us preach this. God help us teach this. Go to chapter 31 of Proverbs verse 4. Right after she says this woman... Preach it to her son. If you don't like that, go fly a kite. This woman's teaching her son, she's, and she gets down on him. And by the way, that's biblical. A mother ought to preach, on her, preach to her son. She's got no business in the pulpit according to the word of God, but she's got every right and God-given responsibility to take the word of God and disseminate it to her children and to do it zealously. Do you hear me? Don't get caught up redefining everything the way that the world does. Now, the Bible says here this woman's getting down on her son. She's giving him the talk. And she says, give not thy strength. Let's look at this. What, my son? Verse 2. And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Lemuel, get away from the alcohol. Don't touch it. It'll destroy you, Lemuel. It's not for kings. It's not for princes. You'll pervert judgment. You'll pervert justice. You'll turn your back on the law of God. Don't touch that stuff, Lemuel. Get away from it. She contrasts this and says in verse 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And to wine unto those, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Now, Christian, you want to say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a wine bibber. You're out there hitting your recreational alcohol and saying that you, God's okay with it. I'm telling you, you have bought into a lie of Satan if you're that way. 
If you're in that sin, it is sin. What you're doing is sin. What you're going to do is worse sin. And what follows that will be abominations and perversions and doctrines of devils and heresies. The path that you're on with your recreational drinking is a path that leads to the bowels of hell. You've rested the scriptures. You've taken them out of their context. Timothy, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. It doesn't say strong drink. Everybody knows that knows anything about it. The grape juice has medicinal properties. And even if it was alcohol, the Bible here in Proverbs 31 says, give it to him that's ready to perish. And alcohol has been made by God and designed by God as a special ingredient that can be used in the preservation and the assimilation by the body of medicines. And it has a medicinal use and a medicinal purpose. But to use it recreationally to get a high is no better than the use of heroin and marijuana and all the other drugs that you're pumping into your bodies. God has less to say about heroin than he does about liquor. You want to say God gave you liberty to drink and then you want to frown down your long nose at somebody hitting black heroin? And now we've got the choir is all going to chime in. Oh, what about gluttony? What about gluttony? Oh, oh, what about all these other things they're going to try and distract from the point? Listen, gluttony is a different sin for a different time, and it's a sin. But God didn't say a fraction of as much warning about gluttony as he did about drinking alcoholic wine. The warnings in the Bible about gluttony mostly involve poverty. The warnings about drunkenness end in the lake of fire. You say, oh, I don't get drunk. Listen, I'm sorry. I can't hardly say anything but liar. You don't know. Noah didn't know. Lot didn't know. Nabal didn't know what was going on. When you start to get drunk, you don't know how drunk you are. You think you know, but you don't know. Now let me explain something to you and we'll be done. When the... According to the word of God, you'll be destroyed by what? By forgetting? By your heart being stolen? These are the effects of drinking alcoholic beverages for entertainment. Your their nakedness, strange women, sex trade, illegal trafficking of persons, whoredoms. Your heart will be taken away. Rebellion, false prophecy, false prophecy, apathy to spiritual things. These are things that we saw in the scriptures that God directly related as results of enjoying alcoholic beverages. Defilement. Defilement of other Christians. All of this is fruit that comes out of that evil tree of drinking alcohol for fun. Take warning. Beware. Beware. 
what happens whenever all these happens, when you turn apathetic to the things of God. When you start drinking that liquor for fun, your heart turns off towards God. Your conscience is seared and begins to be more and more seared. And your heart and your mind are opened up to demonic influences, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And next thing you know, you're believing something that's just a few points off of north. And give it another year. You'll be about twice as far. Give it another year. It's exponential. Eventually, if not in your life, in the life of your descendants, you will see a total apostasy and departing from the faith that you once learned. Heresies, doctrines of devils, and a horrible, gross immorality. That word gross in the Bible means full to the fullest. It doesn't mean that's disgusting. It means full to the fullest, gross immorality. When America got drunk, America gave itself over to perversion. And we've used the Bible to justify it. Woe to the drunkards. Woe to those that pervert justice. Woe to those that err through wine. Woe to those that blaspheme the name of Christ and make him a some kind of hippie Jesus who's hitting up his homemade brews. Woe, woe, and woe. There's a frightful day in judgment coming. Paul delivered two men to Satan for the destruction of the flesh because they blasphemed. May God deliver all the false prophets and teachers who are teaching our people to err through wine over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh unless they repent. God have mercy on us and help us in this day. Mm -hmm.